Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Carp Cogs and today we've got a great guest on for all you lucky listeners. We have Joe Turnbull on and if you haven't heard of Joe Turnbull, he is a sponsored angler from from Mainline and Corder, so the two biggest out there in my opinion, and his pearl of wisdom and knowledge will be passed on to you. Our discussion today will be about tactics and the taxes that Joe uses on all his fishing adventures, and hopefully that knowledge will, will come through to you guys. Just like to say, hello Joe, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, no worries, not not, not a problem at all. Excellent, and also we've got Matt here as well. Hello Matt. A Hi, very Matt. good evening, Rez. How are you Joe? Good Hi, evening mate. everybody. Excellent. Brilliant. Right. So, Joe, you've been in this game for what? About 30 years or so, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, it's been a yeah, it's been a long time. It's funny actually because the time goes so quick, you just don't realize you know how quick the time goes and before you know it, you sort of you, you think this so you tally it up and you think, "Bloody hell, I've actually been fishing for about 30 odd years," which is crazy, you know. Um, and I know obviously there's a lot of other people, older people maybe, and they're out there that have um, been in the game a lot longer than I have, sort of thing. But um, yeah, 30 years uh, in in any game really is um, is enough to sort of uh, give you some kind of wisdom or or something. And it's funny actually because it's only really, to be honest, it's only really just starting to sort of like it, it's all starting to make sense to me now. <laughs> it seems to have taken all that time for me to not not worked it out as such because no one's ever going to work out you know, carp fishing really, or fishing in general, but like you just get a, you get a little bit of a sixth sense, you know, uh, about it and, and, and how they kind of tick through the seasons, you know, um, some guys are, uh, obviously gifted from the off and, um, and from a young age, they just get it straight away. Um, and it's a bit like any other sport, I guess, if you want to, if you want to call it that, um, that they, uh, they just are, you know, naturally talented at what they do. But um, I've always had to uh, work, yeah, work for my for my captures, um, for my fish. Always had to try to think about the best way around it and the best thing to do. Um, but yeah, it, it's been um, it's been a long, a long. I wouldn't say a long struggle, but a lo- well, a, a long enjoyable struggle, should I say? Because that's the name of the game, isn't it? So yeah. It's exactly, I mean, how I probably put my angle in life in. It's been a struggle. It's, it's never come easy for me. No. It really hasn't. Every sort of, from the single to a double to a 20 to a 30, it's all been extremely hard work for me to, to get them results. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm fortunate to have some really good mates as well that are in the in the trade and that, and, um, and you know, some of, the, some of the country's best anglers, you know, and and you get a bit of information off them here and there, but like the thing is no one likes to ask anyone anything because you you've got a kind of well to me i like to stay humble so i don't like to ask people anything and i've like i say, i've got loads of people that are in the trade i could i could tap them up all day long but i really do you know but every now and again you might get a little bit of information which really helps you out and you just work off that you know but you, you just can't yeah you can't really be tapping people up like 24 7 <laughs> about what you're trying to do because <laughs> not only not only is it like a, a little bit sort of uh not out of order but a little bit sort of um uh well you, you, it's just not the done thing you it takes away that little bit of a challenge for you anyway so if someone was to tell you everything you'd you kind of um you wouldn't really enjoy the captures as much as you do when you primal hunting instinct isn't it joe yeah it is yeah it's funny actually because the, the longer you go um the, the more that kicks in you know yeah um like when i first started it, it wasn't that it was more you know um just wanted to get out just wanted to catch fish didn't matter what they were how big they were 
Um, I just wanted to go fishing. That was my bottom line. And then as I've progressed, as I've got older, um, I've got more and more into like bigger, you know, bigger fish. That's all I really want to fish for, really. Although I do enjoy the other side of it as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's um, it's a yeah, myriad um, of experiences. Yeah, yeah, but that thing with the bigger fish, you, I mean, when you try and go for the bigger fish, and obviously maybe get the lakes that don't have the as good a stock, but have uh, a good stock of big fish. You sort of need to go back to them venues where a little bit more of a runs water just to make, I mean, myself personally, just to make sure your rigs are still working. Maybe if you've drawn quite a few blanks in a row, perhaps to go somewhere just to boost your confidence again that you are actually doing something right. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So how did you actually get into fishing? Did you get into like with a float and uh, or with a pole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, my fishing came um, from uh, my uncle, basically. My my brother, uh, my uncle used to take my brother. He's only like a year younger than me, my brother. But um, he used to take my, my my brother fishing a lot. And um, at the time, I wasn't in, I wasn't interested at all, to be honest. It just wasn't really anything I was thinking about. And um, and my brother had a little bit of a almost a little bit of an accident where he fell in and he fell in his waders. He was fishing over the River Lee over the backwaters, really deep, and he fell in his waders. And of course, the the water filled his waders up, and he's gone sort of like down down river, which give him a bit of a shock and all the rest of it and luckily luckily yeah even though my uncle was laughing and all the rest of it and they look back (laughs) at it now and it's all a bit of a joke but anyway they um they sort of hooked him out and all respect since then he gave up um and i kind of like commandeered his tackle and his bits and pieces that he had like left in the in the hallway and um and started going yeah started going myself um and then my uncle was like you know would you want me to take you i've got loads of places i can show blah 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 so that's what I did, and then um, we uh, we used to go to sort of River Lee and stuff. Some of the te- some of the stretches on the Thames and that, oh, just after perch and roach and uh, all these, yeah, all the silverfish. Um, and then a um, good mate of mine um, was well, funny. I was fishing a, a lake called Lake John over in um, Upshire, which is near Epping. It's just a match fishery basically. So I kind of really got into my match fishing. And um, a guy walked around one day. Um, guy called Richard and uh he see me and said like you know he said oh, you know this is this looks all right here he said but I know some really really good waters if you fancy it and um uh, but basically he'd, he'd we both at the time we were both kind of out of work we was kind of like in our sort of 16 17 so it didn't start until a little bit later and um and then he said like you know we'll go to some really good venues if you fancy going and I'd only just kind of like um I, was, I think I was doing my driving test at the time and uh and he um, he was already driving, so we kind of like decided to get together and um, and go to all these different venues. We was both can't say both out of work, so we, we I really always wanted to do this fishing full time, but my parents were always the other way around it because they was you know you wouldn't earn no money out of it and da 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 and there was always no 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 you shouldn't do it. But that's where my experience come from. We basically literally for about I reckon for a good two years. Uh, uh, we just fished all over the country. We went, ev- we went everywhere. We went up the Trent. We was we, we um, uh, up at Budley. We was on the Thames. We we went all over the place for barb or bream. What we used to do is buy the angling mail and um, anglers mail. And in there, they used to have like a venue where to fish venue um, uh, update on there every week. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'd go right. We'd go. Oh, I was on the petrol, and let's just go. And we'd pick a couple of days out during that week and just go. You know um so that's where my experience come from 
uh, yeah, so trotting floats, a feeder fishing, and then slowly got into match fishing. Like I really wanted to get a bit bit competitive, although I've not really been that competitive, but I thought we'd sort of try and see where where I am with that. And um, yeah, went into a few matches, came a few few seconds and thirds, never really got anywhere in it to be honest. Um, but then I kind of like sort of got out of that competitive side of things and really wanted to uh, just get into sort of carp angling really. Uh, that first half decent carp I caught um, kind of spurred me into thinking actually I wouldn't mind just fishing for these like 24-7 you know um, and that was kind of before it was really commercialised as well it wasn't really that commercialised you know you had you had Carp Talk magazine obviously out and obviously Carp World was out and and that but it wasn't like there wasn't there wasn't that many places to go. Um, obviously, Yateley and the historic places were still were obviously fishing back then, obviously. But um, I, I never lived anywhere near there. I was in Walthamstow at the time. So um, I went from kind of like match fishing to fishing Walthamstow, basically. And that's where I ended up cutting my teeth for catching catching big carp, um, you know, and fishing places that were, you know, big reservoirs. So I tend to yeah. learn a lot there by... Uh, because obviously you're fishing open water there so um you know a lot of it's big chucks as well so that's all you know learnt learnt a lot about casting and um you know how to how to get distance um what tackle to use how, you know how strong your line's got to be your leaders and all the rest of it uh yeah um so that's that's kind of how i got into my you know really got into my fishing do you do you remember your first carp joe um i don't really to be honest with you because at the time, what happened was there was a few kind of match fisheries that had that had popped up that were like the main species in them would be carp. Anything from like I don't know, twelve pound up to seventeen pound, maybe no, no, maybe a mid twenty might be or thirty maybe, but very rarely. Um, and a few of these places I fished because they were close to home, and I did I did catch fish up to sort of eighteen, nineteen, twenty, you know, mid twenties. But that kind of gave me the, the sort of like the buzz. Once I got that feel of those bigger fish on that rod, that just really gave me the, the buzz. You know, mm. that really just thought, well, I've got to just fish for these because this is just different, just different gravy, you know. Um, so mm. I don't really remember my first carp, no. Um, but I just remember that I, you know, um, getting in, in touch with those carp in the first place, you know what I mean? Feeling that that pull and seeing that, that buzzer go off and, and, and all the rest of it is... Uh, it just gels into one big picture, doesn't it? It makes you just want to go back again and again and again. You know? uh, no, it definitely does, mate. What are you up to now at the moment then, Jay? What's your sort of stomping ground for the lakes that you're going for? So at the moment, I, um, I've, I've been mixing the two up for some time, actually, probably for about the last five years, I reckon, sort of. Because the thing is, these days, is, is some, of the, some of the day ticket walls that used to be match fisheries have turned into really good carp waters where they're not necessarily a runs water they're a little bit of a mix they can have their like in their season in their particular season they can have their time so you could go down and catch quite a few fish up to sort of 30 or pound but when it comes to sort of um spring uh, autumn winter obviously uh they can become really quite tricky but the fish in there are really really worth catching you know they're anything up to sort of 35 pound you know, high high doubles, 27s, 28s, 29s. I don't mind catching them all day long, you know what I mean? So, but th- that's what keeps me kind of going. Um, 
I don't mind sitting there for two, three nights. It doesn't bother me if I'm after something particularly big. But I just like that kind. That that takes me back to my fishing. You know, that where I I started my fishing, and that's kind of it's always giving me that. You know, just to pull your string basically. So I like to get yeah. a run. You know, uh, yeah. and so what I do is I kind of mix those up. Really, I've got a syndicate that I've just joined, and I've got a winter ticket that I've just joined as well. Trying to keep the money under control because you know if I had the money, I'd, I'd probably join. I'd probably have loads of tickets, but obviously I work for myself as well, so I've got a keep on top of it a little bit and, and it's so much money in it i mean you can't be paying mm. out you know three four thousand pounds which you could easily do and not have the time to go fish them fish them all mm. that just doesn't work for me so i'll try and kind of like you know space out my my uh, my ticket money a little bit and just make sure i get a couple of nice venues that have got some really good fishing and um and then i'll just bounce around a few of the day, day tickets that have become like i say a little bit trickier than they used to be and also, like I say, these these places they've kind of they've taken out a lot of the silverfish. If they haven't been eaten by the cormorants during the winter, um, a lot of a lot of them are are just mainly carp in there or tench now, you know. So, um, and the carp have gone on to just you know massive sizes. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's all good. That's 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 what I do. I like to bounce between the two. Yeah. So I mean that's a great point you made, Joe. You, you're not a, a, a full-time angler. You, you know, Corder and, and Mainline they don't throw money at you. They give you a few freebies, which helps you along to catch more fish and and do something that you love. So yeah, that's very important that you mentioned that. Now, I just want to know pretty much what is the secret to your success with your angling. Somebody who's very good at what he does in the world of fishing. What do you put down your success is to that? Why our mainline? Why our quarter sponsoring you? How's that all happened? Uh, well, that kind of came about because obviously I wrote for Cartwood and obviously the bait section there was really popular. That's how I got into the trade. And that was um, an opportunity that I just grabbed um, once when um, I think because uh, my, my other half, she bought me um, like a subscription for Cartwood one year as a Christmas present. And in the front of that, I think it might have been the January issue, January issue. I can't remember. It might have been 2008 or 2009. Anyway, at the front of that, Tim always did a Tim Paisley did a forward there, just saying what was going to happen in the magazine and this month and blah blah blah. And and in along in, uh, along there somewhere was um, a question that he said about um, he mentioned that the bait world section because they've always had a bait world section that's run for years, but he said that particular section is going to is, is finishing at the moment unless somebody can come forward who wants to take the job um but we're looking for somebody that isn't sponsored that is is unbiased and um has got an interest in bait who can write and take photographs well everything just just merged into one for me just was perfect i just couldn't believe what i was reading i thought well i've i've always written you know i was pretty good at english in school um passed out of a i think i passed out of a b or something like that and and I almost remember my teacher saying to me, like, you should be, you know, you should do something in English because you're really good at your writing and this, that and the other. And, and I thought, well, I can take a photograph, I can write, let me see if I can put something together. So I did. I sent off a, an article um, to Tim. And then the following weekend, I got an email back from him saying, um, you know, we really, really love what you've just done. If you can carry that on, we'll do it. We'll do it every, we'll do it bi-monthly. But if you can do it every month, we'll have it every month. Like, you've got the job. And I thought, oh, brilliant. Hell. I can't believe, yeah, I can't believe what I'm reading, you know. Um, so, yeah, so that's how I got into the trade. Um, from then on, I started writing for Bait World every month. It became a, a part of my job. You know, I put uh, one or two days aside for that. And they paid me to um, obviously write 
the uh, the articles every month, uh, which was like I say a two day job. You know, um, wasn't a lot of money, but it just it, it paid a bill. Put it that way. But um, at the end of the day, it was a two day job where I'd have um, you know I bought photographic gear, got a garage where I had uh, the tape, you know, a special table in there, which is a special photographic table. So I'd have all the items and stuff. Um, getting in touch with different bait companies and stuff that sent me you know samples of the new bait and the new pop-ups and um and all the rest of it and and i've always had a a thing for bait i've always played with bait and um i just i've run out of how much uh, money i've probably spent on pva just (laughs) just tying up bags and seeing the melting tanks you know just to see how they melt with a with a hook link pulled for them and just to Mm -hmm. see exactly what happens uh so basically that's how i got into the trade and then once once the the bait world finished because um Basically, Cartwheeled um, went under a little while ago, as you probably know. Yeah. How, sorry, sorry, Joe. How long were you doing that article for Cartwheeled? Uh, I think it was nearly 10 years. I think it was wow. around, about, yeah. around about nine years. Yeah, I think it was something like that. So it was a long old stretch. And I, I also had done a bit for Crafty Carp as well, which was their sister magazine. And that, that run for about five years as well. So I used to do a bit for that and a bit for Crafty, but it's all bait related. So, yeah, that's that's how I got into the trade there. And then when the magazine finished, obviously, you know, during actually during the time of the magazine, um, we did all the shows for, for um, you know, uh, we'd have like a rig and bait clinic. So it'd be me, Julian and uh, Mike doing the rig, rig and bait clinic there. So we'd have people come down and I said about it'd be a good idea to be rolling baits, you know, to show people how they can make bait and that and um, try and get some of the younger guys into it and get interested in making their own stuff. Um, and then we just yeah, we went on from there. We just done the shows. Obviously, you get to know everyone in the trade after, you know, once you're in it for a while. And um, and I've just kept him. I've just kept up with the times, basically, because, you know, like social media and stuff, it can go it can way go way past you if you don't keep on top of it. You know, so I've always kept on top of it, like my Twitter pages and TikTok mm. and my Instagram and all mm. the all the rest of it. I always kept on top of it. So once it kind of like when it faded out um obviously the magazine finished uh, and as you know like i say magazines are they're on their way out aren't they so once that finished i really want to stay in the trade obviously and like i say i run i run my own business for myself um so it's like a sole trader but i, I could have probably got a job somewhere in the trade full time i was offered a couple of sponsorship deals full sponsorship deals but like I say, I've had this business running for quite a long time and I didn't really want to lose it. And there hadn't been any kind of money to, spoken about or wages or anything like that spoken about either. We hadn't really got that far. So I just stuck with, um, yeah, I just stuck with my business and fishing at the same time. So I kind of got in touch with Mainline, always been friendly with the guys there. I've, all, I've never burnt any bridges with anyone, always got on with all the guys at Calder. In my eyes, you know, the two best companies out there. Obviously, you've got Fox and that, a couple of the other guys and stuff that are mega professional and they all do a great job, you know what I mean? Uh, we're all in it together at the yeah. end of the day, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, so anyway, I've got an opportunity to um, be with Mainline. Uh, Mainline said that'd be fine to stay with them, so that was that sorted. And then um, I had a chat with the guys at Calder and obviously the, uh, Mainline and Calder kind of go together a little bit, so it kind of made sense mm. for me to really you know keep 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 the family tight as it were do you know what i mean and just and just and just go along you know go along with that and not only that i'd always used all their gear as well so i was kind of like really used to it and i know i know i know all their tackle and all their hooks i know all their 
swivels, their little bits and pieces. I know it all inside out, so it just made complete sense really for me to, to go there, you know. So that's how I, I ended up going there. Joe, do you remember what your first article was? So you were saying that you had a go and you wrote an article and took some mm. photos and sent it into Tim at Cartworld. Yeah. Do you remember what your first article was about? Yeah, the first one was actually about, it was about liquids and how liquids react in water. And what I did was, I think I spoke about this before, but what I did was I basically got some glycerine. Glycerine's used in like probably about 80% of the glugs that are out there at the moment, you know. But it's normally a clear liquid, but it's it's very good because you can add more or less anything to it and it takes on more or less anything to be able to make gloves and stuff with. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I thought I wanted to show people how liquids worked underwater. Obviously, I was doing everything from a tank and, and, I, and I know obviously that water currents and all the rest of it can make a difference to how they will react. But you would definitely get a, an idea as to how they might react especially in deep water where there might not be that much current, you know. But anyway, so what I did was I basically added some dye to the glycerine and made a black glycerine and dropped the glycerine in the, in the bottom of the tank and instantly you could see what the glycerine was doing because it had the dye in it. Okay. And so that was really interesting. That kind of really lit my fire and I was thinking, right, okay. And it suddenly sparked a, <clears throat> an idea in my head. I was thinking... Carp are, you know, creatures of habit and they're, you know, they're always looking about. They're always, um, what's the word? They want to see what's going on, don't they? If one's mm, making a bit of a mess somewhere, they're very curious. That's the word. Um, yeah. You know, if one's making a mess, if they're sort of like, you know, mudding up a spot, you'll always get someone, another one come in and another one. And before you know it, they've got, you know, create this feeding frenzy. And so I put it in my mind. I wanted to create this kind of cloud. I thought, well, how can I get a liquid to create, you know, a cloud to, to mimic that that idea? So it, it almost looks like there's a carp there, but there's not, you know, and that was the idea. Yeah. And then so I started toying with, like, stick mixes and adding dyes and this, that and the other. Um, so, yeah, so, so going back to the actual um, point of it, really, was that, yeah, the first article was all about liquids and how they react and, show, you know, trying to show the public how they react underwater. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Right, okay. Well, that's a good tangent to go off because obviously this episode's about the tactics that you use within your fishing. So, yeah, yeah. So basically, the way that I'm going to approach this, Joe, is that I'm fishing in the peg next to you. If we go yeah. back five days ago and I basically see you pull out this lump of a 40, uh, 42 pound carp, I come to your peg <laughs> and I'm going to be one of them annoying anglers <laughs> and say, what rig were you using for that? Yeah, okay. So this time of year, it's a funny one, actually, because um, I like to use a really big, bright bait this time of year because they're just coming at, they're just going into their winter, their winter feeding spell. This is how my, my mind works. Like, you know, other people catch them in different ways. But for me, this is how I do it. I like a big 18 mil pop up, just something that just is just ridiculous, like ridiculously big. Um, the ones I use actually, because I make them myself, they probably sort of shrink down to about 16. They're all made with mainline ingredients and stuff, but, um, I do just start to make my own little hook bait. So you can have a few different bits and pieces in there and, uh, basically just add it on a, a, a wafter rig, a wafter setup, which is, a, you, it's a bit like, 
it's a bit like the spinner, but it's not it's not the spinner. Um, can't really explain it really. You need to, you need to be able to see it. It's something I've been using for a little while. Um, just, you're just using a coated 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 braid that you strip back. No, no, it's not. It's um, it's a it's a D section. So it's a D section, but I've tied a D section. Um, instead of the D section being on the shank of the hook, the D section starts from the top of the, the sort of the top of the bend opposite the bar where it should start. Yeah. And then it runs down and past the eye. Now okay. we do D rig kickers, Calder, which which end sort of just on the eye itself. So the whole the whole point of this was that I've been using the spinner like a lot of people for a long time and um, been doing really well with it, but. Of late, I've just been noticed that the hook holds, they can be kind of anywhere. Sometimes they can be in the top of the mouth, sometimes they can be in the bottom, sometimes they can be in the side. They're not always 100% now. When they are now, they're proper in the middle middle of the bottom lip, you know. But yeah. a lot, of, some of the time, they can be in, they can be all over the place. And I don't know whether that's just some venues you fish, fish feed differently. This is another thing, so this is, this is going to interest you as well, right? You probably never even looked. You might well have done, but a lot of people don't. They just get the hook, you know, get the carp on the mat, see the hook in the mouth, take the hook out, and that's the end of it. But one thing I noticed, and noticed a couple of years back, was that some particular fish that I was fishing this estate lake not far from me, and it's quite tricky. It's not it's not easy by any means. And um, but the bigger fish, when they get caught, the hook holes are always. If you look at this like one particular fish and look at the marks in their mouths. The marks are always on one side of the mouth. Like, so one fish could have a mark, you know, the majority of the marks on one side of the mouth, and another fish can have the majority of the marks on the other side of the mouth. Mm-hmm. Or another fish could have the majority of the marks banging the bottom lip. But if you look next time, you get a carp out, if, especially if it's an old one, if you're fishing somewhere for an old carp, you have a look and see how many marks it's got in its mouth, even where, it, where it's healed up. You'll see that it normally gets caught on what, like that hook normally goes in on one side of the mouth, like one particular side of the mouth. So in my my mind, I'm thinking, well, did I did I did I have a certain way of feeding? Because if you look at a carp, they're never they're never perfectly created, are they? If you look at one side compared to the other side, like mm-hmm. one one peck might be slightly smaller than the other one, might be one bigger than the other one. The tail might not be quite, you know, dead down the line. And does that mean when it's feeding, it's feeding in a kind of slightly awkward way? And when it gets hooked, it all kind of always seems to get hooked on the other side. Um, so that's in my mind is is what made me think maybe you know I'm getting different hook holes from the spinner because it's so because it can be so accurate. I'm wondering whether it's kind of like you know particular fish are picking it up and they're not getting hooked where they normally get hooks. It's it's doing something else and it's getting getting caught somewhere else. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm. I wanted to sort of change the whole kind of like way that the the boilie was was getting sort of getting blown out of the way basically so it's kind of like a blowback rig you can call it a blowback rig but instead of it being blown back to the to where the eye is i've tied the d so that it goes down past the eye and it goes into a bit of shrink tubing which you blob so that so that tubing can't pull back through it and all it does basically is when they blow the hook bait out especially if you're using a big bait like i am the bait will go right like way past the hook so the hook is completely bare there's nothing to stop that from catching hold anywhere um, whereas if you use like a D-rig kicker, although they're fine, nothing wrong with them, or use a normal D type, a normal D, the, the bait only ever goes to the, you know, stops at the eye basically. So it can, it could impede hooking sometimes. So I wanted to try and eradicate that completely. 
and like I say, I end up tying a, a big D. If you have a look at my Instagram page, there's a there's a picture there. I've took a picture of three of them laying on a on top of my bag, I think. And if you look really closely, I've got loads of people commenting. Oh, that's just a D. Oh, that's this. Yeah, what's different about that? Da, 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 da. But one or two messaged me and said, I see exactly what you've done there. I know what you've done there. And I'm thinking, right, okay, so one or two of you got it. That's fine. I don't I don't care if you get it or not. All I know is it's making a big difference to my angling. I'm trying to show you that it does make a big difference because you can see I'm catching fish with it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> well, I'm sitting here um, picturing it in my head trying to work out what you're doing. So, yeah, <laughs> fascinating. I think the key thing with that is, Joe, is that it's different. The carp are not going to be used to that because that's a technique that obviously I would imagine that 95% of anglers will not use. You probably go 99% by yourself. So mm. any difference within your angling, I, I think that gives you gives you a good heads up. I mean, especially if you know if the rig mechanics work. If the rig mechanics work, which obviously it does, mm. y- you quids in. Well, yeah, because what you got to remember as well is that a lot of the a lot of the rigs and stuff, nothing's new. You know, it's not because um, you know we're no we're no cleverer. It's just because people we all we all think about the same thing we're all thinking about say how can i improve how can i improve or what can i do to make this any different and you might tie something up go out and never catch anything on it and you're thinking well that's that's probably why you know that that little difference didn't make any that that little change didn't make a difference but every now and again because i've always been a thinker every now and again you'll make a change and it'll and it'll work just like that and you just think fucking hell I found it, you know, part of my French. I found, I found it. That's only, only a little tiny, tiny change. But I've always said the smallest things make the biggest differences, you know. Um, but yeah, that, that for for some reason that seems to have made a massive difference for me. And also, the way that particular rig is fished, it's fished with a wafter. Now, although most of the time I fish with my, my wafter so that the hook is on the deck, and and the, and the hook bait is hovering above it. Um, I like it like I kind of like it like that because if you look above from above, all you can see is the the actual hook bait. You can't really see anything else. But what happened was when I was fishing the state lake, um, it's very silty. <clears throat> Most of it's just silt. And what I found was I'd get you can tell the difference between a, a line bite, you know, or when you've been done. Um, which is really it's quite hard to explain um to people that you're trying to teach as well. Because when I when I take out tuitions, I'm trying to show them the difference between you know what is a line bite when have you been done and you can tell all that by your indicator i'm going to try and take and guess what you're going to say next is it when the um the bobbin sits at the top is that is that class as a line bite it it can be a lot of the time if it's just if it's just stayed up there you've either been done or you are or you've got to take you know you've got you actually got a fish on Sometimes, yeah. you, if you're fishing for really wary fish, sometimes you can get a take and they can just pull it up tight and just sit there. They'll yeah. be kiting left or right, or they'll just be literally sitting there trying to get rid of the orc. But if you get done, you, you normally get a really sort of erratic indication mm. on your indicator. You know, it'll 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 up and down a few times with a really sort of a like I say vicious kind of like bleep on the alarm. You know, a few few bleeps and the, and the indicator will literally rattle. And then it will just stop or it will just drop back completely. That's where they've picked the lead up, moved the whole system, and it's basically slackened you right off, you know. Um, but, yeah, so you can kind of tell between the two. And I was getting that. That's what I was getting. Not completely done, but I was getting these kind of, you know, um, these really weird indications. And I thought, no, there must be something I can do. And all I, all I did literally was made the wafter a little bit more buoyant than what it was previously. So instead of the hook 
laying flat on the bottom, the hook was kind of like the point of the hook, if you like, was just just touching the silt. And my reason behind that, the only thing I could think of, the reason behind that was because when the hook bait is sitting popped up, well, not well, it's just slightly above the hook and the hook is laying flat on the deck. The silt itself, although it's soft, it's, it still can contain a lot of debris and, you know, detritus and stuff that's broken down. It could be could be laying on a twig, a little tiny twig, could be laying on a little bit of leaf, could be anything to impede the hook. It could be laying there. Mm. And over a course of time, when you fish for bigger fish, obviously you leave the rig out for longer. So over a course of, you know, eight or nine hours, you know, in some cases it could be 12 hours, the weight of that hook, although not a lot, would probably more or less be covered in silt i reckon by the time even if they do you know if you do get a bite but if it's in 10 hours a lot of that is is covered in silt and although carp they as that you know if they feed in silt as you might know they they literally trough in silt so they'll bury their nose in silt you know sucking out looking for the blood worm and the other naturals in it but my kind of idea was to pop that up a little bit so that it was just sitting above the silt and as soon as I'd done that, literally the first time I'd done it, I caught the biggest fish in the lake, which, which is what I was <laughs> after, you know, at 44, 14. And I've been after it for ages and ages and ages. And I think I've been done a few times by it. But as soon as I popped that up just enough that it was just sitting on the sill, um, yeah, it just, that's, and, and like I say, again, you know, the smallest differences can make the biggest, uh, the smallest change can make the biggest differences, you know. Would you, could, I mean, with that rig, now, now you've caught, uh, was it sorry was it 44 yeah, yeah yeah that 44 pound cup will you continue to try and prove that rig or will you say right that's it that is a finished article yeah no i'll stick that no, i'll stick to it yeah i'll stick to you, it you, you won't tweak that rig anymore maybe if you drop a few more blanks you're thinking actually maybe it's not the rig i thought it was and you'll try and tweak it a bit more or you you say right that's that's the rig now i've got full confidence in no i usually i usually get really i really confident in it i usually get full confidence in it i don't normally touch it much more than that because it's taken me probably i don't know and i never used this is a funny thing i never used to be riggy you just chuck anything out didn't use bother mm. me you just read the magazines i was using that let's tie one of them up bosh stick it out and it never really i used to catch a lot of fish but i must say in the last kind of five years six years i reckon my, my catch rate has really really improved since i've been really looking at my rigs you know really studying what i'm doing and why they're not catching or why i'm getting indications and you know what i mean and also lead systems as well the whole thing is it, it can be a bit of a, it can be a minefield you know so what lead system would you use with that setup would it be an inline yeah. or yeah so i've been using i've been using inline inline lead setups um for the last three or four years and again I, I used them years ago when i very first started fishing uh, yeah, old Nash, Nash used to do some really good inline leads um, with like a, a clip system where you could take the lead off and put a smaller one on or a bigger one on. You can chop, chop and change them around without having to take everything off. And I used them for ages. But um, where I I was fishing a complete a particular place where I don't particularly like them too like for for long distances. Like you know, I, I, you know they can ta they can tangle on long distances and stuff quite badly. So. I kind of went off and where I was fishing, I went off them. But where I've been fishing recently over the last few years, I've been using them quite a lot because they're not, you know, they're not big, they're not big chucks, um, you know, 60, 70 yards maximum, really. Um, and, and and they're great for things like up against islands, you know, if you're fishing tight against islands or um, or in silt. Again, if you, you know, you're laying flat on silt, stuff like that, they're, they're quite good for things like that. Um, 
so that'll be the lead system I use a lot for a lot of my angling, like most of my angling, to be honest. Um, would that be a running, or would you have that fixed? Uh, semi-fixed, they are, aren't they? They've, they've got like yeah. a screw that pulls out, so you know if they break off, they can they pull out. But I know yeah, some yeah. people just have them free running, don't they? So they, there's no resistance, yeah. pretty much on the take, so the the lead just runs straight down the line. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't like that. I, I used it years ago, like a complete running setup, but I just find that there's nothing there. There's nothing there to, 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 to get. You're either going to get a, a complete screamer or you're going to get done. One or two. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing there to really teach you what's going on, I don't think. At mm. least with a lead system that's semi fixed, like a clip, you know, to a clip or whatever, a safety system, at least that way, if, they, if you get done, you're going to know you get done. If you get done the running rig, you ain't really going to know you get done. You know, because they've got there's so much leeway, and a, and a way you can test this, and this is something I've done again years and years ago. In you, if you've got a garden, or you, if you ain't got a garden, go just go out the field and do it. I put I took my rods and my alarms, my buzz bars, set up on a on a in my garden basically, and I put a, one rod on a running rig, complete running rig, and one rod on a clip, and. You, you you pull your line out basically or cast it out a little bit have your setup so it might be like 20 foot away from you 30 foot away from you so you're fishing but you're not in water which i know obviously yeah. again can make a lot of difference but pick <clears throat> pick that lead up and see what indication you get on your indicator so set it all up as if you're fishing but pick the fixed lead up and see what indication you get and pick the running lead up and see what indication you get and then you and then then message me on instagram and, or, or facebook whatever and tell me that what you see because it is it just opens it, it just done my head when i first did it i thought oh my god like the running rig you could literally pick the hook bait up you could walk six or seven foot with it and not get like left or right and not get an indication at all you literally have to run, right. <laughs> that's all that is. That's run right. away from the rod to get to get an indication as soon as you pick the clip up you get some kind of indication whether it's a, a little bleat or something you get something you know I mean, Rob Huster, he done a couple of YouTubes where he done that very thing where he's scuba diving, yeah. and uh, he was picking up the lead, moving it left and right. It just throws up more questions than answers, but it's yeah. quite frightening that the indication that you don't see, especially yeah. if the if the fish is coming towards you. And that's why I think when you get that bleep, some people say, "Well, I won't strike on a bleep." Some people say, "I oh, will strike on a bleep." And yeah. some people get fish on a bleep, but this, the problem is when you do get that. That, but like you were saying earlier about knowing if you've been done or if it's if it's just the line knock, mm. is that when you actually strike in that rod, you think, right, I'm going to go for it, and there's nothing on the end of the line. It's God, what have I done? You know, is it <laughs> sort of a weighted? That's your lead system. Do you use any lead core? Are you sort of looking for? Because what I'm trying to just picture in my mind is that when you're going for this fish. Are you looking to catch this fish in areas that it's been caught before, or are you trying to find it in, in maybe weedier areas? Are you look, trying to stay away from clear spots, or are you actually going for that clear spot? Um, it depends on the venue, and uh, it depends. It depends how much you know about the fishery, I guess. You know, yeah. if you don't, if you don't know it, you just look. You look for. You just. Think, I always just think it's, it's the same old adage. You just think to yourself, where would I be if I was a carp? I just mm. try to put myself in in their shoes, which I know is a crazy question, but I just think, well, where would I want to be if I was that fish, you know? And, and again, seasonal, you know, it really it depends seasonal. 
But clear spots, gravel spots, I try them both, to be honest with you. I, I can't say I always look for a clear spot and I always look for, a, for a, or I always look for a silty spot. I try them both. It depends. Like, say, for instance, like, uh, one example, right? So, a little while ago, or a couple of years back, I was fishing on a club water. It's oblong in shape. It's probably around about, I don't know, 12 acres, maybe, something like that. It's fair old size. The prevailing wind is normally, it's normally a, I think it's a southwesterly, I think it is normally. So it kind of blows across the lake. But when the southerly turns, it blows down one end of the lake. So in the spring, early, you know, early season, in the spring, you can you, you know that the fish, if that blows southerly and it's warm, most of the time they're going to be on that southerly, you know. But that bank, that end bank, that southerly bank, from, from the bank itself, which is out of bounds, so you can only fish the banks that are alongside either side so you can fish up to that bank if that makes sense yeah. that particular bank is gravel if you put a lead out it's gravel from the bank all the way along like back out into the into the water probably about 25 foot something like that. that's a quite a, quite a long way and then suddenly it just turns into silt like so go, da, 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 you know you get knock on your little knock on your tip knock on your tip and then all of a sudden just go really smooth and that particular time, I thought, where would they be? You know, and it's it's quite obvious. They love that silt line. They love mm. that line. Like when you, whenever you read, like, oh, you know, so and so, so and so caught da, 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 uh, through accurate um, marking up this, that, and the other. I put his rod on that spot, like, and it went off. And that is normally like if you fish on that line. They love that line between the silt and the gravel, where that silt ends and the gravel starts, because mm. that's kind of like what they've done. They've kind of like eradicated it do you know what i mean they've kind of slowly worked it out worked it away worked it away and that's that line is where all the the bloodworm will be and it's just an easy line for them to pick on rather than i guess being just you know nose deep in silt um and so i put a bait on there i put a bait i literally got it as as, as most as accurate as i could um, in fact i remember casting in which and, and one thing i never normally do but unless i'm doing this if i'm fishing up to the line I'll call it a silt line. I'll cast in so I know that it's kind of like maybe a foot past it. It'll be on the gravel. So I feel it go down really hard and get that real donk. And then I'll pull the lead back, which I never normally do. But if I'm fishing a pop up, which I was, I normally pull the lead back, pull the lead back. So I go donk, 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 donk. And then just as it starts to go soft, I'll just stop. And I know that I'm probably about as accurate as I can get in my mind. I'm pretty sure that's on that silt line. <laughs> Um, and lo and behold, within about, I don't know, about an hour and a half, that rod went off, you know, 29, I think it was, a 28 and a half mirror. Um, and it's a really tricky water, club water as well. It don't really do much fish that time of year, early part of the year. Um, like I say, the sort of places that I go to, I like to catch them at that time of year and I like to go back in the winter because I know that in the summer they'll be caught left, right and centre probably. Um, not too difficult, but I like to have a bit of a challenge. So I like to go in spring because they're always at the biggest weights and in and at the beginning you know beginning of the winter autumn which are the biggest weights again and the winter where they just look amazing they look you know they normally look nice and dark and that don't they so it's nice to catch them when they look like that as well so yeah yeah so that just proves that being on the right you know the right area can really make that difference you know are you allowed maggots on that water i don't think you are actually no no i don't think you are no this has always baffled me. I mean, t obviously people have been fined to being putting too much maggots out. I mean, w what is the thinking in the angling world of, of why maggots are banned? What sort of negative impact does that have on the carp? Well, 
there's not really there isn't really that much nutrition in maggots. There is a uh, uh, there is a an amino profile in a, in a maggot. Obviously, every living thing has got an amino profile, and by that, what I mean is that we 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 obviously need particular aminos to survive and to live. Um, when I've done I've done a bit of research because obviously when I was writing for Bait World, nothing that I wrote was ever copied. Everything came from my own research and bought online papers from like people that have been doing PhDs in the study of aquatic life and fish and all the rest of it. So everything that I ever did was all written by my own research. Because back in the day when I first got into fishing, I was a bit too young to sort of know about Rod Atkinson and 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 um, and and the way the baits were made and stuff like that and some of the other guys that were really into their baits i was a bit too young so i never really i never had their books and stuff when i was at you know when i was younger mm. so didn't get to read that information and but it, it's quite funny how like i say we all kind of think alike because when i when if you read some of the stuff i wrote about bait in bait world a lot of that corresponds now when i've read some of the rod hashes and stuff and that it all it all, it all corresponds to what he's already written do you know what i mean so we're kind of thinking the same thing which is a bit weird but going back to your question and the amino profile, when I've done a bit of research on maggots, the, the highest amino in maggots is actually lysine. If you talk to anyone that's really into their bait, they'll tell you that lysine is the most popular kind of amino that's normally in anything like that they eat naturally. Um, so if you've got like lilies that are breaking down, you know, they like to, I don't know if you've got, I've got a pond and if you, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but you know, sometimes if you go to somewhere that gets towards the end of the year, there's lilies and they're sort of like all their edges are sort of frayed. Mm-hmm. That's where they're breaking down. Um, so the, the carp like to sup at that. They like to, like the carp in my pond, they, they'll sup at them until they're gone. There's nothing left of them. And that's because all that kind of stuff contains lysine. Um, and it's one of those, it's probably the most abundant amino in probably in aquatic life really because it's in everything um and it's in and it's one of the ones that we need to survive if we didn't if we didn't have lysine we'd all be dead it's one of those things that you have we have to have um can't remember exactly now whether we make it or not i can't remember but anyway we have to have it in our diets otherwise we would not survive and it's exactly the same for the carp so um like i say every living thing contains lysine um they have to have it um again if they don't have it in their diet then they too would perish, you know, or they would definitely not live as healthy a life as they do. Um, so in maggots, like I say, uh, my kind of theory behind it, and it might be poo-pooed by a few people, I don't know, whatever, but my theory is that if you've got like a gallon of maggots and each one of those maggots contains 1% lysine or 0.001% of lysine, however you want to do it, I'm not a mathematician, and add that up, that's a lot of lysine in a, in a gallon of maggots. Mm-hmm. And and that's my reason behind why they actually like them, you know, especially as it starts to get into winter when that particular amino becomes less abundant. It becomes less and less. And that's why I think that they really, really come into their own at this time of year. You know, maggots, casters, all that sort of thing. And not, not only, obviously, because of the, the amount of lysine that might be in, in maggots, but obviously you got that kind of live attention of you as well, you know, that catches their eye. But I really do believe, I think that because it can, they can, and that's why if you look at some of the catches, a lot of the places ban them in the end, because 
they feed so many because they literally gorge themselves on them. You've heard, mm. you've probably heard mm. of it before where they've gorged mm. themselves on maggots, you know, literally pooing them up in the mat and stuff or literally bringing them up in their throats when you catch them. Um, and, I, and that is my theory behind that. Is it because it's too good a bait? Does it make all the fish mugs? Um, what do you mean? Because would you connect that sort of same association as with tiger nuts? So, like, tiger nuts are banned a lot of venues because mm. over the years, people tongue-in-cheek says because it makes the fish mugs. No, 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 no. That's a completely different sort of way yeah. of looking at it. Basically, the maggots, like I say, because, it, because they contain that content of that lysine, I believe that's what makes them so attractive to them. Right? Mm. They, they know it's, it's instinctively, once they start eating them, that, they, that something, something's making them like that. And for me, I think it's because it contains the lysine, right? But if you've got tiger nuts, tiger nuts, if they're not prepared properly, or any nuts, if not prepared yeah, yeah. properly, can, yeah. can swell up and obviously damage fish, yeah? And a, and a lot of people don't really know how to prepare them properly. Um, some people don't don't really care, you know? Um, and that's that's the two reasons, you know? The, one of the reasons why tiger nuts are banned is because of that. But the other reason is because they literally gorge themselves, but they've not really got that much nutrition in, in them. Do you know what I mean? They've, they've not got no fats in them. They've not really got any lipids in them. Everything's yeah. low as far as that's concerned. So they, they ain't going to put no weight on it. If anything, they're going to lose weight by just eating them. So, yeah, so that's that's why they're, they're banned in fisheries, you know? Yeah, and I think a lot of fisheries, they, well, I say a lot, um, some fisheries do have a, a limit, don't they? I think uh, a few yeah. pints, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you can yeah. perhaps put them on your hook bait and maybe in a PVA bag, but you're not absolutely hammering them with, yeah. say, 10, 15 pints of maggots. Yeah, 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 and you're still gonna you're still gonna catch fish like that. But uh, like I say, I've I, I have fished a couple of places that um that love that love maggots. You know, as soon as it starts to get cold, everyone gets on the maggots. But give it a month into everyone like piling in maggots, they just stop. They literally just stop feeding. They just don't bother yeah, yeah. feeding. You know, you you still nick a fish here and there, but nothing like nothing as ravenous as they were when they first started feeding on the maggots. You know, so that's another reason why people have just put them into let you use little PVA bags and that, you know? Yeah, so we're on baiting. What is your standard baiting approach when you turn up at a lake? I actually, I'm very, very basic these days. I don't really use a lot of particle and stuff. Um, I really don't. I, I normally use just boily, and I just use it in different sizes. Um, so this time of year, well, I say this time of year, I'll use a lot of 10 mil boily this time of year. Um, I use it all through the year, but Mainly, I'll stick to 10 mils this time of year. It depends. Sometimes you can get like, you can have a day where the temperatures will be, you know, un unusually mild for that for the particular time of the year or for that particular month. Um, you might have a couple of days that, you know, because I always check the weather. It might be a warm front coming in, you know, whereas normally it's like five degrees. It might be like 12 degrees with an evening temperature of about seven or something like that when those days come in i normally always go fishing sometimes when it's like that you can have you know i normally start off with like maybe two or three pouchfuls of 10 millers uh, either fish a wafter or a pop-up normally fish well this were well, the last this this autumn i've fished a lot of bottom baits straight out of the bag 15 mil bottom baits with a little sliver cut off and a little uh, yellow tipper on the top just as a wafter and, and i'll normally fish like i say a, a couple of pouchfuls of 10 millers over that and just see how I go, and I fish for a bite. So I normally fish kind of match style. Uh, a lot of the time, 
I go down on my hook sizes this time of year. I know a lot of people go, nah, don't worry about it, don't bother me, blah, 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 still do all right. But for me, consistency is the key. Even if I catch one fish that day, I'm not after 10 fish. If I get 10, that'd be great. But so long as I'm catching one every time I go, sometimes that one can turn into 10. And I've had fish in the winter up to like 35, 37 on like size 10 hooks, you know? Mm. So it doesn't bother me going down size hooks. That, that experience has come from when I used to match fish a lot. When I was younger, like I say, I, I had like a 19, 20 pound fish carp on the pole on like size 22s, 24 hooks, you know? So I know a tiny hook will get fish in. So long as you're not fishing up to snags and you've got a bit of open water in front of you. So I normally, like I say, yeah, I normally go down a slightly smaller hook. If I'm really scratching, I'll go down to the 10, but I've not used the 10 for a while. Um, eights and eights and sixes, but mainly eights as it starts to get a bit cold. And I've proven it myself. Like when I've been out fishing, I've been on sixes, can't get a bite, or it's very quiet, very quiet. Tie a rig up with a, with an eight on, stick it out, and get a bite within ten minutes. That can't be just luck. It happens all the time. Can't <laughs> be just luck. And like I said, when I said it right at the beginning, it's taking me all this time to kind of like finally understand what's going on out there. And and that's one of them. That for me, a slightly smaller rook at certain times a year. Definitely depends on what venue you're on, because if you're on like really, really like a gin clear water, if the water goes really clear, that can definitely help. There's no two ways about that. But if you're on somewhere that's a little bit muddied up or whatever, that probably doesn't really make too much difference. But generally, if you're fishing on a clear venue, I like to go down a slightly smaller hook. Uh, Hook links as well. I like to use braid a lot. And again, I will use something a little bit thinner. So I'll use the Supernatural, maybe an 18 pound. Or a probably a camo strip of walk link or something like that, you know, in, in 15 pound, probably use that quite a bit. Not too bothered about blending in my tackle with the bottom in certain circumstances. Depends again where I'm fishing, but I'm not too bothered about that. If you look, if you look underwater, if you, you know, if you get underwater, you go scuba diving or whatever, you look underwater, a lot of the stuff there is just like brown, black, dark green, mm. you know, it's not. It's never, it's never one particular colour, is it? It's all different colours. Um, so I just like to use everything dark. Normally, I just start to, everything. All my leg clips and stuff are normally silk, you know, silk leads, silk clips, um, silk rubbers. Joe, if the opportunity arises, do you use uh, lead core? Yes, I do. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I quite lo- like using lead core. I use lead core a lot in silty venues. If anywhere's really silty, I'll use a lead core leader. Um, obviously, if you're allowed, I'll use a lead core leader. Mm. But this time of year, again, where waters are starting to clear up, I just like to use the fluorocarbon now. Um, mm-hmm. Fluorocarbon straight through. You're not a mono yeah. man then? I'm a mono, yeah, I'm a mono You're man, not... yeah. Do you have any spools with mono on that you would perhaps swap to if needed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It depends, actually, because um, obviously fluoro's not the best for casting. You can cast a fair old way on it, but it's not the best and the smoothest for casting. And so I'll normally have, like, I've got three spools with, with fluorocarbon on, that I take to, you know, really, I'll, I'll use for really clear venues. But if I'm fishing somewhere that's not particularly clear, then either 12 pound or 15 pound touchdown. But normally, mm. normally 12 pound touchdown is what I use for my kind of distance stuff, you know, anything over a kind of 80 yards, you know, 78 yards. I've never used, um, which I would love to use, uh, but I've never had the opportunity because all my club waters ban it, I fish, uh, is braided mainline. Have you <laughs> yeah. had the experience with that or not? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day, when it very first came out, um, we used to get Gorilla Braid from America. Um, anyone going on a holiday <laughs> there would always get a, like, you know, a few quid in their pocket and I'll go to Walmart and get some uh, Gorilla Braid because they used to do it really cheap, Walmart in America. Um, and so, yeah, I used to get Gorilla Braid from there. Um, used it quite a bit. Um, Walthamstow, actually, because there was no bands there. That's where I kind of cut my teeth really on, on carp fishing that is a fantastic water i fished there on previous episodes i've mentioned this before but it is got to be one of the top 20 carp lakes in the country in my opinion apart from the uh, the night band that has on there obviously i think they do is it weekends now they allow people on uh, i think it's one a month i think isn't it? is it one a month yeah. um, i've fished there for years it's a brilliant water the fishing there are absolutely immaculate it's a well-run fishery but yeah, yeah. sorry mate yeah no, that's all right no it used to be even better it used to be even better before they put all the cages around the island and stuff, you know? I don't know. Have you been there since they've done all the cages and stuff around the island? God, when did I go there? Probably 2015 when I fished it last. Uh, they might have just started doing it. So, yeah, it might not have been. Yeah, I'm not too sure. But now they've literally fenced all the islands off. So you can't cast tight to the islands and nothing like that anymore. It used to be. Wow. Yeah. It used to be an amazing, amazing place. So, yeah, that's where I used braid quite a bit at one point because you had to get that kind of that kind of line well i'll tell you what they did one year um just quickly they they banned all leads over an ounce and a half anyone that's listening <laughs> yeah, anyone that's listening who remembers that will probably be laughing now but they did they banned any leads over an ounce and a half because there were so many people putting lines up the trees and yeah. literally like and because it was kind of like you know a bit of a bird sanctuary as well there'd be like birds hanging off of it and the the the, the bailiffs had to come out in boats and cut them off and uh, it was a nightmare. There was just lines everywhere. Like, and every year, once a year, they get the bailiffs to go out to the island and clear the island. And within two or three weeks, it should be lines everywhere again, you know? So they banned it. They said, right, no more leads unless you've got ants and half. That's the maximum. So the only way to get out, out to the island, which was, I can't remember the chuck now. It's probably like 100, I don't know, 120 yards, isn't it? Something like that, 125 on the long chuck. I can't remember. I, I've been yeah. there for years. But it's a long way. And even the other side is like a long chuck, you know, 90 yards. I don't know. Stay away. But to get out there with fifteen pound line, and back then fifteen pound line, um, a bait runner arrow, which tiny little spools, just spanking that rod, and it just ain't going nowhere. So, only way to get out there, we used to get like a lot of the guys used to fish with eight pound line or or fifteen twenty five pound braid, which again is like the thickness of eight pound line, eight pound line, a twenty five pound braid, with a twenty five pound shock leader on eight pound line, or braid straight through. That's the only way. And at the time, what I did was I bought a mould out of carp salt. Uh, there was a guy there who used to do all the moulds. You used to be able to buy your own moulds and the clips and stuff that go in it. So I used to buy all my old moulds and my parents used to have a, um, a glass shop. So they used to make like leaded, leaded windows and stuff like that. I used to go to churches and that. And, mm. and all the old scrap lead I used, to, I used to nick from the bucket and make my own leads. So I used to make these ounce and a half little like, lead bombs. And, um, and bang them out like 90 yards, 100, 100 yards of 25 pound braid. Like you should just fly out. Um, but the bites are just mental because you tighten up. Like as soon as that lead hits the bottom, you fill it at the bottom. You, you tighten up to the lead, and it's just it's like a it's like a violin string. It's like so tight you could literally cut cheese on it. And you get any any sort of bite, you get an indication. So any like drop back just straight to the floor. If you get bite, it just literally rips the rod out of, out of the rest. But you have to be so careful with playing them because any little knock on their head, you can really easily pull the hook out, you know, because there's no, absolutely no stretching it at all. So it's not really, even if I could use it, I probably wouldn't bother. 
a lot of the mono and that these days is 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 really good for being able to feel be in touch with the fish anyway. The the colder fluoro that I use, like I say, once that's stretched out, um, you can you can feel every little sort of donk on it. You can use it for marking up if you want, or you can feel everything through it. And even the touchdown, it's not really got a lot of stretch in it. It's got not as much stretch as a lot of lines I use. Um, and I just really get on with it. You know, I don't, I've never had mm. any problems with it at all, like, as long as it's loaded correctly. Mm. So, yeah. How often do you uh, replace your lines, Joe? Is it every um, season or? Yeah, probably also. probably every season. Yeah, more or less every season. But what I do do is um, you can you can use the stuff that's underneath the spool. So I've got a spare spool because you very you very rarely use the stuff right at the back of it, do you? So if you get a spare spool, yeah, and then tie the main tie, tie the line the line you've used to the spool, mm. wind that on, and then wind it back on. You know what I mean? So you end up using the stuff on top rather than underneath. My friend where I go fishing with, Adam, he's always forever ripping off a uh, line off his spool. So yeah. if he feels any any nicks or anything like that, he's literally taking 30 yards. So he gets through quite a lot of line yeah. a year. It's probably a practice that I probably don't do enough. I'm quite sort of old school, oh, that'll do, you know. But <laughs> if you get a fish on the line and it cuts off, yeah. you want that uh, security that the line is going to happen. So now, previously over the last sort of few years, I've been doing that more i've been checking the line yeah. going through it especially your business end you're probably you're talking 30 40 yards yeah um, and, and continuously checking that and then just cutting it off getting more fresh line on the on the business end yeah that's it yeah i always pull off like if i've been you know if i've been casting and um if i've been catching fish consistently on on on, on a particular rod or on all three rods after sort of like i don't know fifth or sixth fish perhaps i'll just check the line um, i'll check it anyway but any curly line going up to the lead you know like sometimes you're slacking off and you've got a bit of curly line yeah. anything like that i'll strip off maybe sort of like two or three rod lengths and just and just until it feels all nice and supple again and straight again you can tell the difference because it's it's been under pressure and it's been stretched a lot that that section from the lead maybe through to the tip of the rod or to the to the reel you can feel that tension in it you can sit. Sorry, you can tell where it's been under tension. As soon as you let go of it, a lot of time it also springs up, doesn't it? Or if you've had, you know, you've had a fish in the net, that last bit of lines always got, always goes a bit springy and stuff. But yeah, I normally sort of just strip off a couple of couple of rod lengths and then tie it all back up again and get casting. But but yeah, normally normally every year, normally have a, a bit of a swap over with a fluorocarbon. I normally change that every year as well. Depends really how much abuse it's been getting there. Low I get on mm. the spools really, you know. I'll tell you what, Joe, what we could do now while I'm thinking about it, I don't know if you had a chance to think about your naughty nightmare that you want to present to the listeners. <laughs> do you know what? I, I thought and thought and thought, and I can't think of a single instance that I could talk about. Honestly. Oh, you're joking. I'm very <laughs> envious, he's mate. He's definitely masked. <laughs> I was thinking there must be something, because I am one of those anglers, right, that if something is going to go wrong, it will go wrong for me. Yeah. Right. I am one of those guys, believe it or not. When I yeah. go with my mate, if something goes wrong, it's going to be me and not him. It doesn't matter what happens, it'll be. But I can't think for the life of me um, anything really. I mean, the only the only thing that that, that cropped up in my mind. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Here's a naughty nightmare. Naughty nightmares. The only thing was a little while ago, a few years ago, we was fishing this water, bit of a runs water actually. When we first arrived, we looked at it and was like. As dead as a door, there's nothing, I'm gonna catch nothing. Yeah, I don't like the look of it, blow. Anyway, we started fishing this place and um and we couldn't get a bite on the bottom. 
They was all on the top. There's loads of fish on the top. Loads of fish. Stick some zigs out. So we both stuck zigs out. Anyway, long story short, my mate had to go, and I was on my own. And I was getting so many bites on these two rods that I just thought, that's ridiculous. I am just going to fish one rod, and I even took the alarms. I was just fishing it on the ground. That's how stupid it was, right? So I've got this one rod out, fishing this, fishing this zig. Zig's gone off, playing this fish, da 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 it's come up to the surface and it's only like probably, I don't know, 17 pounds, 16 pounds, something like that. Not very big at all. And I've got a bit blase about it where I've, I've had so many fish. I'm getting right. And I, I was almost, I was almost going to pack up anyway. And I've got a, a nine, probably a nine foot zig link on. So a long, really long hook link. And the bank is slightly steep. So I am, I am a lot lower. I'm, well, I'm almost level with the water, if you like. So I'm right down at the water's edge. I've got the the real kind of like in line with my face because the fish is out a little bit further. I can see the lead more or less bouncing in front of my face. I can see the lead and I'm thinking, bloody hell, that's, that's a bit close, but that's all right. That's all right. So this fish is a bit erratic. It's gone a bit crazy. And as I've tried to get it in, get it in the net, the hook's pulled. And as the hook's pulled, the lead has come back and smacked me smack bang in the top lip. <laughs> Honestly, I was like cring- someone cringing during the last 30 seconds of like, that story. Honestly, like someone has punched <laughs> oh. me right in the face, right? So I've just like dropped the net, dropped the rod, got, got hold of it. I've got my mouth on my lip and I'm thinking, that don't feel right. As I look down, just blood everywhere, literally <laughs> pouring out of me. So I'm like, shit. You should well, have gone home. <laughs> I've, always been at the gla- I've always worked with glass. So I've always been cut, I've been cut loads of times. I've had loads of stitches all my life. I've had stitches and cuts and all the rest of it. So I know when blood's bad and when blood's not, you know what I'm saying? When it, when it comes yeah. out, when it's bad, fucking hell. So anyway, I've just dropped my rod. I don't know what happens to the fish, dropped the net and I've run to the car parts where my van is with my hand over my mouth and I've got blood everywhere. I've looked in the mirror and it's literally split my top lip. Like you can just cut it with a standing knife, like split it wide open. <laughs> you know, so I've got my first aid thing out in the van and I've patched it up and I've got blood everywhere. And I've literally, I've, I've got everything in the van got my tail between my legs and gone to the hospital and ended up, ended up with like six stitches in my top lip. Or eight stitches, I think, in my top lip. Right. <laughs> so that's the only thing I could think of. But other than that... I was going to say, that's an absolutely brilliant story. I can't believe, I can't believe you were kept with hanging on, Joe. <laughs> that is an oddy nightmare if I've that's, ever that's heard one. Belter. There you go, yeah. Excellent. Right, Joe, we've got another feature that we do. It's the Quick Fire Five. And we just ask you uh, a quick five questions. But anyway, I'll get on with it. Quick five five. First question. Bottom bait or pop-up? Bottom bait. Mirror or common? Oh, really nice mirror. Okay. Margin or middle? Margin. Slack or tight? Semi slack. <laughs> Semi slack, okay. Right, this question, our last guest, Richard Handle, um, he blew me away with this one. But anyway, real handles, in or out? <laughs> um, out. Out, oh, okay, that's. Yeah. I'll oh, anticipate <laughs> 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 uh, Richard, bless him. Oh dear. Right. Well, that's great, mate. That's 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 good good answers there. Right. Going back to the tactics, mate. Now, 
I'm just curious to know on this fish that you caught four or five days ago, what mm-hmm. set you on that? You were talking about the sill and the line with the gravel. Yeah. Is that something you would just generally go for, or was it the lake and the carp that sort of pushed you in that area? Is that something that you've just discovered that you're going to put into future fishing, or is it something that you've been going to for years? Um, what the whole situation you mean? The whole situation. Obviously, it's it's, it's always a learning curve, no matter what lake you're on. But yeah. the, this this situation in particular, where you've caught this fish on yeah. that particular line, is that something? Going, wow, that's that's a an area when I go to a, yeah the silt line when I go to another lake that's a definitely an area that I'm gonna try and target. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it is. It's always something that I'm, I've always known about. You know what I mean? I've always, I've always known that you should try to be as accurate as you can with certain areas. You know, you've got to try and think about the bottom as much as you can, even though you can't see it. You know, when I take guys on tuitions. Like, like for instance, I took them. To, I took this guy to the sanctuary, which is an Essex syndicate water, um, Mitch's place. And when you first turn up, just, it's just a massive body of water. It's like eighteen acres, huge, huge, huge place. And if you're not used to fishing anywhere, you know them sort of size waters, you just think, what, where, what am I supposed to do here? But once I explained to him that it's like, it's like the moon surface under that water. Although he couldn't see it, he got he kind of understood what I was saying straight away. And he said, what, like, what literally goes up and down? I said, yeah, yeah, literally like, you know, you can cast out and it might be 10 foot and then past that, it might drop down to like four foot or up to four foot. And then it might drop down to 16 foot. And then it's, it's up and down like an egg box, you know? So it's quite important to remember that whatever, you know, if you, if you're looking at a surface of water, to try to remember that there's obviously, it's not, it's not always just a flat, flat as a pancake lake bed you know there could be all sorts of things in there and you need to really find out you really need to learn really how to use that lead and what how to feel where that lead drops and what you know i mean for me joe that's that's a a nightmare scenario i mean what i like is when i turn up to to a lake i suppose most anglers will be you want obvious spots. You want spots where you think, right, well, there's no other spot like that in, in my swim or in yeah. the area of the lake. The yeah. problem is that I find if you have that huge amount of variation within the whole lake, mm. it becomes very difficult of knowing when to start. Um, it does, yeah. Too much choice. Yeah, exactly, too much choice, yeah. Yeah, it does. But learning kind of like all the other things that go with it normally makes, you know, it points you in the right direction. You learn, You'll end up where you should be, you know, if you know all the other little bits that go with it, like wind direction, temperature, what time of year. Yeah. Finding out the water depths can can be the difference between catching fish and not catching fish, you know, in especially autumn and winter, you know, as it gets colder, um, that can be a difference between, yeah, catching not. Actually, in fact, even in the summer, it can be a difference between catching and not catching. But going back to that particular capture, that was a little gravel spot that I found and I was casting towards an obvious point. I thought, if anyone, like most people, if you turn up, Turn up in a swim, look out, you'll see, you know, you're looking to the far distance, you'll see your markers. There might be a particular tree that stands out. Most people in the stand and swim look at that tree and go, that's where everyone casts. And that's what I did. But what I did do was I put lead out and I led it about and led it about and led it about. The very first time I went down there, with not very much confidence that I was going to catch. I've been seeing fish in that area. Every time I went down there, see if you fished that kind of way, that kind of area. And the prevailing wind normally always ended up down that way. They normally get on a new wind. And that particular week, uh, before that, sorry, 
I'd found um, this little tiny gravel spot, which literally was put lead in. It goes silt, silt, silt. You pull the tip back very slowly and it goes gravel and then silt. It's literally within about a second, it's silt again. So I thought, bloody hell, that spot must be like tiny. It can't be very big. It must be tiny. And, um, and I clipped it up, dropped on that spot, felt it go soft. I must have had about six or seven casts. Soft, 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 soft. I was thinking it must be, it's got to be there because I just felt it on the bloody tip of the rod. It's got to be there. There must be some gravel there somewhere. And suddenly it just went donk, like really hard. And I thought that's either landed on one big rock or a log in the water or something that shouldn't be there, but I'm pretty sure it's on that spot. And that's what went off. That rod went off mm-hmm. with that big fish on it. So that's basically a spot within a spot. That's probably the old saying, isn't it? Probably, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've narrowed it down, I mean, into fine detail. Yeah. that most people, I mean myself included, I would probably just fish within that silt. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have the brains or the nails to think, right, I'm going to go on the edge of that silt yeah. within the, where the where it meets the gravel. I'd be thinking, right, it's either going to be the gravel or it's going to be the silt. Yeah. Or, the yeah. Confident, fish. or the confidence to have several casts at it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, like sometimes, like I said, sometimes I'll go with the intention that I'm not actually going to catch anything that day. Like, obviously, so long as there's not loads of people there, you know, I'll try and, and again, this is why I go, you know, a lot of my fishing is either spring, autumn or winter, you know, the summer's very, very busy. But I normally do a lot of my homework in the winter as well. So I'll go and have a lead around, find out, you know, what, what areas are hard, what areas are soft and try and I'll log them all into my phone, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so some, sometimes I'll literally have a, have a day where I'm not I'm not really intending to catch anything. If I do, that'd be great. But I know I'm going to make a lot of disturbance, and I'd rather learn what's in front of me for the next time I go back. In my time away, I'll be thinking, right, when that wind changes, when that temperature is that temperature, when that water, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. You've tried, you start to piece it all together. Yeah. And then and then look at the weather. I normally study my weather apps a lot. I have two or three different weather apps study the weather apps and then and then like I sort of normally make my um, my fishing work around my work so if that week's going to be that those particular days look really good for that particular area then I'll I'll book those two days off and go fishing you know so that's how that's how I become sort mm. of consistent or what I do so you so you will be going back Joe to that lake after catching that fish yeah 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 there's there's a few more big ones in there yeah <laughs> yeah so the future for Joe Turnbull is carrying on with this lake. Do you have any more sort of targets in sight? Um, no, not really. You just want to just want to catch a few more big fish, really. Just want to keep catching bigger fish now. Um, like I say, I was never, I was never one of those ones that were just like a, a big fish hunter. You know, some a lot of the guys back in the day were just after that one particular fish. You know, I could have gone to Yateley and fish for Mary and all the historic fish and all that, and I, it just, I just wasn't, just wasn't for me. I just wasn't in that that. I know it just wasn't there for some reason just mm. I wanted to just fish for, for fish you know I just wanted to catch fish but but now um now I'm I'm more yeah in the well the last like I say the last probably six or seven years I reckon the last six or seven years I really really got into my just big fish fishing you know but I still go to the day tickets you know because like I say most of the, most of them are up up the doubles 29s 30s 35s so they're, they're all really nice fish to catch you know no one's going to grumble at them and uh and but now yeah and but I've, like i said i still fish for my big fish as well so yeah so so what you got left on this lake then what are the biggest numbers oh there's there's quite it's a bit unknown at the moment because it's it's um 
it's not it's not a new fishery, but it's uh, it's, like, it's kind of newly fished really. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit un, there's, a, there's quite a lot of unknown in there, and and that's one of the reasons why, like I say, like, I like to fish some of the day ticket waters now because some of the ones that have kind of like like been forgotten about or they've just got a bit hard. A lot of people don't don't actually know what they don't even know what's in there. They've still got fish. They still get fish crop up that get caught and they're like over thirty pound. Never been like haven't been caught for like years. And people don't even know they're even in there. They just say it's a day ticket. Well, I just presume there's like you know a load of stockies in there or fish mm-hmm. up to twenty two pound. So like the amount of thing, the amount of fish I've caught and I've like I've caught it and I've got it in the net and I'm like. Fucking hell, I can't even believe I can't believe that's in there. I can't believe it's in there. Does anyone know it's even in there? And people are like, no, I didn't know it's in there. <laughs> that's why I like fishing some of them waters a little bit more. They're untapped. They're kind of they've be, they've become hard. They've become hard because, um, like I say, a lot of the silvers have died off or the cormorants have been in and cleaned them up, and 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 now they've become a little bit trickier. So a bit of a challenge. Nice fish, and yeah, yeah, it's all it's all good. And especially when you put the otter gradation in there as well, that brings up more sort of questions. I mean, my club waters, you do get the odd fish kill from otters. And that, in a way, I think, even though it has a detrimental effect on the angling community, but it does bring into question that sort of guessing game again. Is that fish still in it? Joe, can I just ask? I've been fascinated by your your mindset and some of the things you've been discussing. Mm -hmm. One of the questions that um, Rez and I were talking about on a previous podcast, Mm -hmm. when we were talking about watercraft and tactics, is you turn up on a lake, big body of water, you know, there's Mm -hmm. features on there, but there is, you know, there's not much to look at, no shows. How would you approach that, mate? Um, So, like I said, I would probably have a day I probably have a day, you know. It, it depends really what you if you was if your intention was to go there and say right, I want to go, I want to go there, set up, I want to catch, you know, definitely want to catch fish. You'd have to be a little bit more um, inconspicuous about it, I guess. I suppose you'd have to be a little yeah. bit more stealthy. Go and look, go and look for shows because they'll always show that, or they'll always bubble up, or um, they'll they'll create certain patterns in the water. Obviously, you'd have to look, you know, get your binoculars out or look close, um, have mm-hmm. a good look, have a good walk around the whole lake. Sorry to be really awkward, but right. our, our watercraft our episode was if you didn't see any shows. Yeah. If you didn't see any shows. Yeah. You didn't see any shows because I know a lot of anglers that listen to this podcast will be turning up. They'll have limited time. They will look at the lake. They maybe look for an hour, maybe look for two hours. And maybe if there's a chop on the water, it makes viewing the fish very difficult to see any yeah. shows so yeah. we were going on that pronounced because in general if you see shows of fish mm. no matter regarding if it's weedy what the topography of the water is you're going to fish in that area regardless so yeah. we sort of got a notion if you were to turn up at your at a lake or a venue that you didn't see any shows how would you approach that uh you're going <laughs> in completely blind aren't you but the thing mm. is, you're you're better you're better off to be like it's like the old thing again. It's like the old saying, like you know, um, ten minutes in the right place is better than like six hours in the wrong place, isn't it? Yes. So it doesn't matter whether you think you're not going to see anything. You will you will see something as long as you open mm-hmm. your eyes. But you need to be tuned into it as well. This is the thing, like, and this is another thing. When I take guys out, um, and I we we'll walk onto a lake, and it might even be somewhere I've never been before. So this might even answer your question. You, you need to tune into the water straight away. And it's really hard to explain. It's almost impossible to explain. But you need to look at that surface of that water like it's 
it's almost like you can see into it. I don't know. Yeah. I can't explain it. Yeah, no, no. I, I'm getting you. I'm following you. You look at the surface of the water, mm. any little bubble, any little discrepancy. Like if you've got a wind, basically, if you've got a chop on a wind, if you've got a wind blowing a particular way, if there's any fish near the surface, sometimes they can create like a clear spot, what I call a clear spot, mm-hmm. um, or, or like a slick, like a slick, yeah. it looked like an oil slick. Yeah. Um, bubbles, um, you know, and that doesn't mean necessarily mean where they're churning up the bottom, but that just mean where they could just be swimming through the water. They're obviously releasing oxygen, so they could be releasing bubbles, little tiny patches of bubbles. But you, you definitely need to open your eyes and look because there's there's so much more there than just turning out and just casting out. But if I was to just turn up, want to just cast out without looking, I'd have to look at if there was a wind, at least a wind. I'd go mm-hmm. on the wind. I'd, yeah. I'd go on the wind. So if it mm-hmm. was winter, I'd go on the back of the wind. And if it was summer, I'd go on the front of the wind. That's about mm-hmm. the most layman, easy terms you could Yeah. Play. Like I said, like you could spend like six weeks really looking forward to going fishing, getting fishing, and or getting there and going, I sod it, just to stick the rods out wherever I am, yeah. and, and not catching nothing. And then yeah. in the next six weeks until you can go again, you're thinking... I didn't really, I didn't catch nothing anyway. So is, is there any really any point? Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I, I yeah. know yeah. I've been in that situation before. You know, I've been in that, yeah. I've been there where when I was younger, I used to take myself, I used to take like four beers with me. I used to smoke. Oh, I can't wait, finish work, get down there, six o'clock, get the rods out, crack a beer open, sit back and just chill out. I used to just chuck them out. I didn't fill them down. I didn't look for fish. I just sat up in a swim that like does fish or, you know, is a, mm. is a popular swim for people to sit in. But my catch rate was rubbish. My catch rate, honestly, was crap. <laughs> oh. Like I've always caught fish, but nothing like I have done in the last five or six years. Because now, well, now I really, really want to think about it. Do you know what I mean? I've, but like I'm getting older, and as I'm getting older, my time's getting more and more critical. <laughs> I want mm. to catch as many fish as I can, you know, before I pop the old clogs. Do you know what I mean? So mm. time is really, really important. So when I go, I want to make sure I do as much homework as I can. So you're better, like I say, you're better off to sort of do your own work and then go go and really enjoy it, you know, rather than just chuck your rods out. You know what I mean? They they will no, they will normally always give themselves up. You know, the only time they don't is in the dead of winter, like when it's really, really, really freezing cold and mm. they're just sitting there not doing anything because a lot yeah. of time you're not going to see anything. You know what I mean? That, even but even then, you might get a sighting of something. But 99% of the time, well, 90, yeah, 99% of the time when I go, and don't get me wrong, sometimes I'll get out of the van and I'll go, oh, it's freezing cold, wind's blowing everywhere, all I want to do is get my bivvy up and have a cup of tea. I'm literally yeah, gasping. Yeah. Last thing I want to do is walk around 18 acres of lake. But I do, because I know that I'd rather be in the right position than the wrong position, right, in the right mm, place. Mm, mm. And sometimes you can walk around and you might see one fish show, and you'll go, well, I've just seen a fish. Now I'll carry on walking. You'll go to another bit of the lake and there might be five fish show. And you go, well, that's a few more than there. And then I say to myself, well, I might as well carry on walking now. I'm halfway around the lake. Get to the next bit of the lake and there's like 20 fish there. They're all fizzing up and all that. So suddenly I'm going, fucking hell, this is where I need to be. You know, this is exactly mm-hmm. where I need to be. Yeah. Go and get the gear. That's it. You're in, you, you're in the spot. And all I've done is probably like, you know, used an hour and a half of my time. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. But I know that I'm going to sit there with more chance of catching something than than not catching at all. And we go there to catch fish, don't we? You know, yeah, definitely. It's yeah. about being proactive. You know, like 
the other thing quickly is my my barra, the way I, I fish, I fish everything off of my barra. So nothing comes off my barra apart from my chair and my tea gear. That's it. It all stays on there. I'm always looking for fish. If I'm mm. fishing a particular spot, I've found a few fish, and, I'm, and I maybe have had one or two, there's always going to be a few more fish somewhere else. I'll always look, or say for instance, that area goes dead. I'll be looking, looking, looking. I'll get up, I'll take my sander box with me. I might walk 100 yards up the bank or whatever, as long as I'm not fishing near snags, obviously. I might walk up, up the bank, have a little look. Da, da, da. But if I see something, signs of more active fish or more active fish than what's happening in front of me, my gear's already on my barra, just up and go. And the trouble a lot of people do is a lot of the anglers, especially the guys I take out fishing with me, is um, they all immediately, as soon as we get to the swim, I say, this looks like a good little swim. I've had a few fish from here before. Let's have a go here. Straight away, they get all the gear off the barra. And I go, what are you getting the gear off the barra for? Well, because we're fishing here. Yeah, but what happens if you want to move? Well, I'll put all the gear back on the barra. But are you going to want to do that? No, not really. Not once I've got my bags off. Well, that's your answer, isn't it? So leave yeah. everything on the barra. And if we want to move, we literally pick a barra up with our rods on it and we're gone. Mm. Whereas if you unpack everything and you've got all your bivvy out and you've got your nets, you know, you've got your mats out and you've got everything hanging out and Every, you've made home from home to, to uproot all that and go and move is is you just think oh, i don't want to do that because that's, you know i've not come fishing for that i don't want to but if you, it's, it depends what you want to do i take some guys that don't get to go often and they want to just go and sit on the bank and just chill out they're not bothered whether they catch a fish or not because they just enjoy sitting there in the outdoors with the rods out and if they catch one that's great if they don't don't worry about it and that's fine by me if you want to catch a fish then unfortunately you have to pull your finger out your ass and go and catch them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly right. I mean, also, you know, one of the pitfalls as well is getting all your gear out in the motor. As soon as you pull up into the car park, you get all your gear out on the barra and you're thinking, if I want to yeah. go and look for fish, I've got to lug yeah. this with me. You just want to give yourself the best opportunity to get them fridged. And if you keep your gear in the, uh, gear in the car, then you, you're going to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or even just take your barra down, you know, take your to the lake and leave it by the lake. And you know, as long as you've got a lake that you can trust people there, you ain't got to worry about it. Leave your barra there. Just take your take your water bottle off or your bucket and go for a walk. You know, leave your barra. Your barra's there. All the gear's on it. You're just getting, going for a walk and looking for a swim. <clears throat> Find yeah. a swim, plunk, plunk, your, plunk your bucket down or whatever. Go back and get your barra. Job done, isn't it? You know, but leave it on the barra. Just leave it on the barra. It doesn't need to come off, does it? Why does it need to come off? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. You're, you're less inclined to want to move if you get everything off mm-hmm. um, than if you leave it on there. But it, dep- it depends if you're if you're on a circuit water or if you're on a you know a day ticket water where you're more than likely to get you know a few runs here and there. Then most of the time you can just set up where you want to set up. But if you're on somewhere that might be a little bit trickier and you're going to want to move, then um, then keep things on the barrel. Just you know, just be. It's all about being proactive. You know, just keep move. You know, keep your mind active keep yourself you know ready to move if you need to move and right and go and uh, catch them carp <laughs> yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna throw one last thing at you oh, at you joe right you turn up at linear oh god yeah <laughs> 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 you can't get swim. <laughs> i mean we, we, we did touch on this, and we're going to be doing an episode on this, um, on circuit waters and the problems and the situations you might find yourself in. But I would just like to hear your point of view. If you turn up at Linear, and Linear is absolutely one of probably the busiest carp lakes 
in the country, bar none. How do you tackle that? Because effectively you're slotting in. Matt came up with a with a great question, with a great answer the other week. He would try and work out the topography of, of the lake bed, see where the anglers are, see where free swims are, uh, and take it from there. Linear can be absolutely brutal with the amount of anglers that are on there. And it's not my cup of tea, and I'm sure it's probably not your cup of tea in regards of the amount of anglers that fish on it. How would you approach that? Well, with that particular place, there's so much information you can find about it. It doesn't, even if you don't know anyone. Yeah. Uh, there's so much online, um, even as far as the topography and stuff like that goes. There's so much online um, information. So I definitely, I would definitely look for information first before I went. Even as far as like the best swims and stuff like that. You know what I mean? That's uh, probably what I would do if I didn't, if I'd never been there before. I would try and find out as much information online as I could. And then literally just go along with everyone else, really. There's not, there's nothing think, more you can do when it's that busy. I mean, it's only that busy at the moment, like really bad, because because of obviously the, the situation we're all in at the minute. So, yeah. you know, that people know that it's rammed full of fish and it's got some really nice fish in there as well. Um, and it's comfortable, isn't it? You can park up more or less behind your swims, I think. In, I don't, well, you used to be able to, I don't know if we can now, but you can normally you know, park up around about where you are and, um trying to find out as much about the place as you can before you go you know that's pretty much it uh, and if you've got your your mind and your heart set on a particular swim and somebody's in there then obviously you need to go and ask them when they're leaving and sadly you're gonna have to sit up and wait wait for them to go you know um personally no, but no. If, if that's really what you want to do and you want to get in yeah. that swim you've got no choice but to do that you know or even fish a, a swim that's close and say to the guy look when you go if I leave my bucket here, can I, you know, if I, if I fish another swim, would you mind if I jump in there? You know, if that's, you know, if you're that desperate to get in that swim, then that's, that's it. And it really, you, you ain't got much choice or, yeah. or jump in a swim that's free and just keep your eyes open, you know, until someone mm-hmm. moves. Do you know what I mean? That's, yeah. the, that's probably what I would do. I'd, I'd jump in a swim, just fish where I'm, wherever I can for the time being, whether there's fish in front of me or not, perhaps look for a swim where, you know, cause sometimes as well in places you can, uh, well, you look at Tom's um, video that he did a little while ago down at Linear. He went down there, didn't he? The only swim that wasn't... Um, no, was it Tom's? Uh, or was it Mark? Pictures, Foxes. Uh, I can't remember if it was Mark's, actually. I'm trying to think of it was now. Someone done a video, went down to Linear, and the only swim that was free, I think that was on St. John's, and the only swim was was free, there was no one in it. And he went down, I think he had like a 35 and a 29 and a 30. This 30. I think he had quite a few fish in the end. Well, that was what's his name, Fox Angler. Was it Mark Pictures? No, it wasn't. It was um, Tom. Tom, yeah, Maker. Yeah, was it Tom Maker? Yeah, I'm sure it was Tom Maker. Yeah, I think it was Tom, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean he knows that place like the back of his hand, but that those, in actual fact, touching on that because that's what he did. Those kind of pl- those kind of swims can often be really good. Like the the one that's left where no, there's no one else in there. Yeah. It's normally probably one of the best swims to get in. Yeah. Because yeah, um, the fish, the fish literally, they've been huddled up in there basically yeah. because they don't want to get yeah. away from all the lines. So yeah. a lot of the time, you know, a lot of the time I will do that. I'll probably go to somewhere, um, just look for one of the swims that's really out of the way. Um, obviously with a little bit of water, but um, but yeah, yeah, I'll probably do that. Yeah. Look, Joe, I won't keep you any longer, mate. You've been an absolute fantastic guest for us. It's been fascinating. Thank you, Joe. No worries, uh, guys. I'm sure these listeners would have taken a huge amount of stuff from this and uh, they'll apply it to their own fishing. And yeah, thanks again, mate. I'm going straight onto Instagram to look up this rig.
<laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good idea, mate. Or give yeah. Joe a postal address so he can send me a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have to learn how to tie that one, mate. It's a bit difficult for me to tie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, you've been there. more than welcome, guys. Thanks very much. For, uh, no, thank you for your time, anyway. Joe. It's been fascinating, mate. Yeah, really no good chat. Yeah. yeah. Anyone that needs to get in touch with me can can do so by the Instagram and stuff like that. You know. Um, my Facebook feeds and all the rest of it. And, um, yeah, if you need to know anything, just send me a message. I always reply. Yeah, while you're on that note, Joe, contact us at Carp Cog's Facebook page or on our Twitter account. Any questions you want to ask, we'll try and answer them for you. Again, thank you, Matt, for your participation. And thank you, thank- Joe. No worries. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Rez. Yeah, thank you, Joe. And we'll all see you on the next episode of Carp Cogs. <laughs>